0: Welcome to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge, the fiercely nonpartisan discussion that seeks policy solutions to issues of the day. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children.
1: Welcome to the Common Bridge. This is Rich Helpy. It's good to be back. I took a few days off for some r and r I hope you enjoyed the podcast and youtube t v channel episodes that we recorded prior to my little break. I'm back and got a lot of things I'm thinking about. I do. Want to ask people to please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast channel, whether that's Apple, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Buzzsprout, or Spotify. Please like us and follow us at YouTube TV. And of course, register for free at RichardHelpy.com. My producer, Brian, has been busy getting great guests for us. Like we've had recently author and columnist and analyst Thomas Frank. We've had infrastructure expert, Rick Geddes, and Dr. Geddes is going to be coming on again. And I asked him, hey, Brian, who's going to be on when I get back from vacation? And he said, you are. (laughs) So, Brian, here I am. What's the plan for today?
0: Well, the plan for today, Rich, and and, uh, I'm glad we're states apart, otherwise you'd swing at me, is you're going to go solo today. I'm going to ask you some questions about some of the current events today, and there's been a few good ones. And I want you just to reflect on them to bring us all up to date as we move into the second hundred days of the Joe Biden presidency.
1: I'm a peaceful man these days. And so um, I I would not swing on it. I would just refuse to say anything. But I I do think it's been an interesting time. And of course, I had the occasion to watch just two days ago, the president's 100 days. Universally, I think people had to like the fact that it wasn't all about him. He seemed to be poised and confident. But I would not want to be in President Biden's position today. It's an incredibly difficult position. He has had to cater to the left wing of his party. And from what I am seeing on various social media networks, that the far left is pretty delighted with what he's up to. And for the president, he doesn't doesn't have a Republican majority in either the House or the Senate to blame blockage on things that he doesn't really want to do. And so he's got to come forward with this long wish list. And, you know, let's give him credit. There's there's a lot of good ideas. But then you try to start putting the pieces together. So, you know, thankfully, he says we have to compete with China. This is very true. You know, our most recent president before him said The deals that we had with China were tilted and unfair, so there's a commonality there, and then it stopped. And he went off to say, we all need to join unions, raise taxes, pay $15 minimum wage, get more guaranteed time off, and expand Obamacare. Now look, I'm generally supportive of unions, particularly with some of these large tech companies. I don't know that people have an objection to fair taxes. As long as they're going to go to good purpose, I've long said the minimum wage needs to be over $15. It needs to be $22 to $25. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing we did get from the pandemic lockdowns is that people are appreciating that time off. And in terms of expanding Obamacare, I just it's piling more stuff onto a system that's not working. We do need to finish that. But but the operative question is this, how does any of this help us compete with China? Because China's not doing those things. You know, and the other things that I've listened for and was left unsaid in the president's talk was any nod at all to the innovation in American companies and any props to the people who have served their communities and bettered their own lives by starting or running a business. And he didn't really talk about the plain truth that our federal government is now monetizing our debt. Yeah, and that's scary. He just didn't really put all the pieces together. And as FDR said, you know, chicken in every pot? I thought, well, President Biden said we're going to have two chickens in every pot, and that's all good unless you were in the business of raising and selling chickens or making and selling pots. And then somehow, (laughs) you know, you're the scourge of society. That's probably (laughs) a little harsh, but...
0: So are you surprised how far left he went from before the election and until after the election? Did that surprise you that he's gone this far left?
1: Well, I'm thinking about that. And if you reflect on the election of 2020, there wasn't really a campaign. President Biden made. Very few campaign stops. A lot of it was done by Zoom. And the central theme was we don't like Donald Trump as our chief executive. You know, that's hard to argue with. We didn't want Donald Trump as our chief executive. Never mind that people may have liked his policies, which he did make some solid gains in. It's his behavior and his megalomania and his other personal failings that caused people to say, you know, we've just had enough of this. And and I think now, a hundred days in, we're saying, all right, we got rid of Trump. Now, what do we have? And folks are starting to look at that. And if you've seen some of the recent polling, almost issue by issue, he's got overwhelming majorities against him. And even very wise people on the Democrat side, James Carville, for one, said this is not going to go well because the left's agenda, the far left's agenda, is not a thing that people want. So Joe Biden has to figure out a way to get back to the center of the political spectrum. He's got to really show some bipartisanship. And I don't envy him his job right now. He must be under a tremendous pressure.
0: Do you want to cover it all foreign policy? Because what's happening in Crimea right now, And it seems like Russia was testing that a little bit and like, let's put a lot of troops, let's put a lot lot of uh, tanks and such. And that's leaving Afghanistan alone. I hope you cover that, too. And I guess John Kerry. But, But what do you think on foreign policy so far 100 days in?
1: I'm waiting for a stronger test from China. Uh, China has tested the three most recent presidents vigorously. And so I think that's where the pressure is going to come from. Russia and the Ukraine and Crimea, I'm not sure what they're going to do. And I do hope that we get to the bottom of Iran and John Kerry. And of course, uh, John Kerry denies unequivocally the recording that was released or the content of that recording. So we'll see if this goes anyplace because, you know, a lot of things are locked out of the news. One thing I do want to make mention though, before we move too far away from domestic policy, I've spoken many times about the state and local tax limitation and that President Trump in his tax reform capped that at $10,000 And it was a tax that hit very wealthy people. And the Democrats have tried to undo that, I don't know, half a dozen plus times. And that limitation has been left in all of the current legislation, although there are both senators and representatives in the U.S. House that are saying they're going to withhold their votes unless that gets lifted. But here's the kicker. The New York Times says that SALT or state and local taxes should be zero. So if you're taxed by the state of New York, by the state of Florida, the state of Iowa, you can't deduct what you pay there. And frankly, I like that because absent that, you can have a wealthy person in a high tax state having their federal tax bill subsidized by a middle class person elsewhere in the country.
0: Rich, let's talk a little bit about the civil unrest that's been going on around the country. We certainly can talk about George Floyd, both the murder and the aftermath, but also what's been going on in Portland and some of the cities around the U.S.
1: Look, I think there's a lot of factors that are coming here. And there are themes that we talk about on the Common Bridge that the political parties don't have an answer for this. They're unwilling to address the mayhem that has been in the streets of Portland for a year now. And I caveat that with that. I have not personally been to Portland, but I have spoken to a number of people that live there, people that I've known for a long time that I trust. And so I'm going by what they're telling me they see. And you had a very nice city, very peaceful city that has been destroyed and intimidated by antifa anarchists and the failure of news to report on the nightly burnings and the nightly mayhem and the assaults on police officers is a failing and we had our president biden saying well antifa is just an idea and now portland mayor ted wheeler has finally said no antifa a real threat because they're threatening him <laughs> that's right so to me this is not difficult We just need to look at this realistically and say, what is happening? What is an acceptable form of protest? And I think Americans would agree burning a courthouse, breaking windows in a business, blocking traffic, terrorizing a citizenry, throwing Molotov cocktails would all be things that would be outside the boundaries of acceptable protest. But but even if not, let's agree to make the changes that the people doing those things want. It's got to be one or the other. But the fact that it's not being reported on, not being discussed, is a failing of our political system and our reporting industry. Uh, and Brian, if you recall back when the Democratic National Committee held their convention prior to the election. I talked about at that time was what what we didn't hear is that they made no mention at all about the massive number of riots that were going on in the streets. And back then, you couldn't even call them riots. I think the terminology is mostly peaceful protests. I know mostly peaceful arson. Okay.
0: Yeah, I guess it is what it is.
1: It's this is not Democrat, Republican, right, left. It's are we going to have arson in the street or or not? Um, I I don't know the details, but apparently in Seattle, the family of a man that was killed inside of the occupied zone are suing the Seattle police for not responding fast enough. And my recollection of that situation was the police were not allowed to go into that area.
0: Well, I noticed that... The news isn't covering it quite as vigorously as they were a couple of weeks ago. And I was glad to see this in some of those cities. And I think this was Minneapolis pre Chauvin. And this would be a nice lead into the Chauvin trial on the eve of the Chauvin verdict. And there was burning in the streets and there was uh rioting again. And it wasn't so much, I'm not sure about the volume of it, but I saw that at least the community there, it's specifically the African-American community chasing reporters out. And I think it was a group of CNN reporters that just wanted to show a fire instead of showing the peaceful protest. And it's the first time I saw pushback from the actual community saying, hey, look, you're making us look really bad here by trying to promote this anger and this hate on TV, which kind of drives the whole thing all summer. From
1: what information can be obtained. A substantial majority of the rioting, and I differentiate that from the protesting, Mm -hmm. the bad things that are happening are not from people from that community. It's not organic. It's from folks that are coming in from the outside. What's not being seen is someone that has a little business that maybe they nurtured and it was destroyed and they have no way of getting it back. I remember watching a scene. I don't remember what city it was, but it was a African-American man who had a a little food business and he was yelling. goes, that's my computer you took. I, I don't have another one. Yeah, it took me forever to build that up.
0: And at the end of the day, you see it's a bunch of suburban white kids who are doing this. And how did they fit into this?
1: Yeah, exactly. And then they go home and the devastations left. You know, you mentioned the Chauvin trial, right? And I watched this one with interest as a lot of Americans did. I didn't watch every day. And in our justice system, imperfect as it might be, seemed to work. I do trust juries generally that they heard all the evidence. They listened to what the law was, And with near unanimity, they reached a verdict and they concluded that a murder was indeed committed and that there was not a reasonable doubt that it was justifiable. I know that there are trials coming up and there's sentencing to come. It's an absolute tragic situation. I know what the arguments are about why things were justified and how narcotics played into it and so forth. But again, I think we have to trust the jury. And now I think that we need to trust the process to meet out an appropriate sentence. And I think that should be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: A couple of things that got taken to the back burner very quickly during this. Uh, and happened about three weeks ago was Governor Cuomo's problems in New York, his personal problems in New York, Governor Whitmer's problems in that, you know, the U.S. is the second highest outside of India as far as infection rate with uh, COVID. And Michigan is by far the hottest state, or at least was a few days ago. And she was taking that one on the chin. And, of course, Newsom. Those signatures got ratified, so he's going to face a recall in the fall. So how are those governors doing? (laughs) Well,
1: I've talked on the program before about the vacuum in leadership. Leaders never should ask the people they're leading to do something that they themselves don't do. Leaders also need to be candid. One of the worst things a person in a leadership position can do is to be untruthful or misleading to the people that they're responsible for. So we talked about Ted Cruz and we talked about Governor Abbott. And, and so you mentioned these three governors. And I think you've got that leadership or that elitism again coming to the fore. And so Governor Cuomo's case, he clearly had a policy that resulted in too many deaths of elderly people from COVID. And as more and more is revealed, he was covering it up and using the machinery of the state government to hide what the results of his policy was. He needs to be held accountable for that, but this story's kind of gone quiet. In the case of Governor Whitmer, she told the 10 million Michiganders, you can't go visit your elderly relative. And I personally knew people whose mothers or grandmothers perished in nursing homes, unable to be hugged the last eight months of their lives. And based on what the governor said, the governor said, don't travel because you can bring something back. And the same governor traveled to Florida to visit her father. And I get the personal poll. But the only answer would have been, Dad, I'm sorry. I've just asked 10 million Michiganians not to travel, not to go see their relatives. I can't do this in good conscience. Mm -hmm. The only answer she had. In the case of Governor Newsom, we all know about the French Laundry. But also the sanctuary cities and the destruction of the beautiful cities of Santa Monica, San Francisco, and others, and the number of Californians that are leaving the state because of gross mismanagement. And finally, it's coming home to roost. Now, it should be real interesting in California whether the governor survives the recall and if there's another choice. I don't think it's going to be Caitlyn Jenner, but the former mayor of San Diego is a great candidate, as well as Rick Grinnell, so more to be
0: seen there. I I can't remember what the question was, Brian, but... Well, we were just talking about governors and their duties to their people and... And
1: where public service should be done with public servants operating in the interest of the public, of course, not in the interests of their political party or their own power that they're wielding.
0: Can we talk a little bit about immigration and specifically the the southern border? There's nothing to talk about, <laughs> All right.
1: Because I, I have news for you, bud. Problem solved. How's that? You heard the president talk in his hundred-day speech. He said he wants to do infrastructure, and he's going to put Vice President harris in charge oh yeah that's worked out great so the only conclusion is border problems fixed
0: <laughs> yeah okay kamala harris hasn't had a press conference on being the new border control czar and it's been 35 days now since she's been named and she hasn't had a single press conference on it.
1: again another another fact that like ignore what the governors of new mexico arizona and texas are saying Ignore what the Democratically elected and Democratic Party senators from Arizona are saying about the border conditions. Ignore the fact that today 90 people were located in a house in Houston, only five of them women, no children. And ignore those photos you see from the border that they blocked Senator Cruz from taking because it's not a problem. Okay. According to again, if you if you just listen to the major news outlets. And if you'd listen to the political rhetoric, you'd have to conclude it's not an issue.
0: (laughs) Problem solved, right? How do
1: you know you're dealing with a bad company or bad organization is when the way that we handle problems is we just don't talk about them anymore. (laughs) Right. So since we're not talking about it, I guess it's all fixed. Now, you know, (laughs) I did a podcast episode recently about immigration. Again, a solvable issue, but... Since it's all fixed, I guess we just move on. I did a sarcasm flag. You really did. You you started this, okay? You didn't bring it yesterday, so all right. All right. So where else are we going here?
0: (laughs) We're going to move on to infrastructure because you just touched on it. But uh, there's a pretty big bill that came out that's somewhere in there It had infrastructure. But what's your breakdown on that? Because we just had a wonderful, two wonderful conversations with Professor Geddes on that. And um, and now this bill has come out and he talked about it the other night. What are your thoughts? It seems to gotten a lot bigger. Does that mean we get more infrastructure help or no?
1: Well, according to uh, some of the analyses, about six percent is actual physical infrastructure for roads and bridges and the like. My sense is that there is overwhelming majority of Americans that are ready, willing and able to make the investment in infrastructure. I'm one of them. And when I look at the cost analyses where they say, yeah, we've got, you know, 10 years of taxing, but 20 years of cost. Yes. And we have 50 to 60 years of life in what we're investing in. And, and we do need to bring high-speed broadband to everybody, just like we had rural electrification.
0: I totally agree with that.
1: Just like we had universal phone service. Uh, you know, just like we've had the postal service delivers every place, including the bottom of the Grand Canyon, where you'd need a donkey to get down there.
0: I think the donkey has a better shot of getting down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon than some of our home service nowadays, but that's another matter. Yeah,
1: we are gonna, gonna talk, so infrastructure is a great role for government and a public sector investment, I think, are good things. And taxing to get the money for that is good. And look, in terms of taxing, and two things on this. Number one, the personal income tax and capital gains. And I've talked to a number of people that have been real successful. And I could give you lots of examples. I'll just give you one. A good friend of mine said to me, he says, look, my parents were immigrants. I happened to be good at what I did. I had a chance to go to college and made a career. And he ran two household name, world-class companies. Okay, you know, household, you'd recognize the name. I won't tell you who they are. but And he said, I don't mind paying a little more. But don't tell me I'm a bad guy for having talent and working hard and making something of myself. I agree with that. And and I you know that's that I think people are in that camp for the most part. And the other part of the personal income tax is that you know we have a lot of amazing levels of wealth that are legacies. So by way of example, when you look at the wealthiest people in the world the list there's a lot of lauders on there from the Estee Lauder Company of France and a lot of Waltons from the Walmart. And you know, I don't think anybody would deny Sam Walton, you know, the guy driving his pickup truck and building something. I don't think anybody would deny him whatever he built. Sam. Yeah, Sam was all right. Yeah. But you know, it's it's a troubling thing when you, you can set up, you know, three and four generations into the billions. And I don't know what the answer is right there, but it's 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 just gives you the feeling that. I mean, that's a thing we might want to look at. Anyway, the other leg of this is corporate taxes. You know, there's a lot of debate about what the corporate tax rate is, and but there's also data that says they don't pay taxes anyway. So, so it's like doesn't matter if it's 80 percent or 8 percent or someplace in between, because mm-hmm. if you're got enough deductions and loopholes, uh, you don't pay it anyway. Right. And you know, I I do hear the argument that says. Well, companies are just tax collectors anyway. They're going to pass it through in the cost of their goods and services. And that's true enough. But think about this. And I haven't researched this independently. So Senator Warren says Federal Express paid no corporate income tax. And I thought to myself, well, there's a good place to tax because who's using FedEx, right? It's people that are more of upper income that have a need to get something quickly across the country. Amazon, same thing. It's okay to tax those companies and they should be putting something in. And of course, you've heard my disgust with states and municipalities that prostitute themselves and give these tax breaks out for infrastructure, for facilities that these incredibly wealthy companies are going to use. I mean, the companies need to come in there and fix the sewers and the streets and contribute to the hospitals and the police officers and the first responders and and the you know firefighters and the like.
0: That's a good point.
1: What was the question again? I keep. I'm sorry. You you started this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, it's it's funny. I can open up that can of worms just a little bit. We were talking about infrastructure. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'll just say that on my vacation, I spent a lot of time relaxing, and so I did some reading. I listened to some books, but I didn't make a lot of notes. So I've just been thinking about things, and and you know these questions are helping me get to it. And thank you for the people that. Send the questions.
0: and I'll, I appreciate that. Boy, this is this is going to be uh, another one of those can of worms. But can you talk a little bit about the comments that that uh, that Senator Scott made? Well, more specifically, Senator Scott's uh, rebuttal speech after Biden's State of the Union address. He's taken a lot of heat and it seems like a lot of it is ugly. Uh, he's been called Uncle Tim. And it's almost as though if you're not on the Democratic side of being an African-American, you're not African-American. And uh, and you kind of kind of feel his pain on that. Do do you have any comments on that? He's getting ripped everywhere on that one.
1: And who's ripping him? That's the question. Who's Mm -hmm. casting the first stone? I would just say this. I recommend everyone. It's fifteen minutes. You get it on YouTube. You can get the pure feed of Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina giving the rebuttal. I think he's a a great man. We need more Tim Scotts in the country. I mean, he's got a wonderful personal story and a deep faith and really good ideas. And it's it's people like him that give me confidence in the future of the country. Just a riff on that a little bit, people wanted to get off the Trump train, Mm -hmm. And here we are. And now we've got Biden and everybody's kind of biting their fingernails saying, okay, what did we really get? What's going to happen when we get to the election in 2024? You know, think about a ticket of Scott and Scott, right? Yeah. Tim Scott. Yeah. I mean, the resume alone is great. Fiscal accountability, social responsibility, schools, healthcare, it'd be a, a, a really good ticket for the Republicans and a clear exit from the world of Donald Trump. And the Democrats have got more governors that have had a chance to lead. And, and so they've got a, a bit of a talent pool uh, as well. And, you know, some that are quietly doing their jobs and doing them well and not on, you know, the cable news shows all the time talking about that things are unfair to them as they're in one of the most powerful positions in the land.
0: So, Rich, as we get into the fall um, and next fall, but this fall in particular, what do you think happens with elections?
1: Well, I actually, as an eternal optimist, I think there's a lot of good things happening. You know, as you know, I've read and covered the Georgia SB 202 and read the House Bill H.R. 1 and compared and trashed those that now as people understand what's really in SB 202, they know it's not Jim Crow 2, and when they know what's in H.R. 1, I don't think there's a person in the country that says, yeah, the solution to the country's issues is to make mandatory registration of all 16-year-olds. And apparently, there is a 75 to 85% support across all ethnicities and income levels for some kind of ID to vote. So those are good things. But, But look at this broadly. In 2018, Stacey Abrams ran for the governorship of Georgia and said, hey, the election laws didn't work. I really won. And I'm not the governor. It's not fair. It's not done right. Two years later, Donald Trump is the candidate for president. And he says, hey, Georgia, you didn't run your election right. And I should should have gotten your electoral votes. So that clearly got Stacey Abrams and Donald Trump agreeing there's a problem. And when you look through the bill and they are guaranteeing early voting, guaranteeing absentee voting, guaranteeing numbers of drop boxes, and in fact, making voting easier than in Delaware and in New York and a lot of places and Colorado. This is just, again, bad reporting. And what I'd encourage my listeners to do and encourage them to tell their friends is when you hear a story comes out that's supposed to alarm you, just wait, because it's going to go away. And it's going to morph into something else. And, you know, Brian, that might be a good place to, uh, well, I'm going mention COVID a little bit because that's one of those stories. The story on COVID is far from over of being told because the data that's emerging is beginning to show the picture. And I've put this up as a premise some months ago that this virus may have been impervious to just about everything absent a strong vaccine or very intense isolation. But the cost of the isolation may have exceeded the cost of the protection of the disease. And it's going to take a long time for that data to get sorted because we just don't have a data system that can handle a pandemic. And there's some case that it might be a seasonal disease that we we looked at case counts. But what constituted a case has changed during the course of this. You know, then there were cases with symptoms, cases that required medical attention, cases that required hospitalization, cases that unfortunately resulted in death. But the commonality seems to be that the health status prior to getting the virus, while it's not perfectly correlated, is highly correlated. And can we have a discussion about where COVID is present versus the primary cause? And I I think most people know that. Every year we lose vulnerable elderly people that have multiple things, you know, dementia and diabetes and blood pressure and just all the ravages of old age to to the flu. And how many of those cases do we have? Well, we can get that data, but it's going to take a while to get that. All I want to do is close with this. I went on vacation, came back, and guess what's not in the news? The Russians offered bounties to the Taliban to kill Americans. Turns out, well, the intel Agency says that's probably not true, and again, when I first heard that it's like, oh yeah the Taliban weren't going to shoot at our troops, but now that they got a bonus they were going to do it I mean, it didn't make any sense at the first time around mm-hmm. um, as I mentioned the you know the noise about voting laws has died down. the other thing the insurrection at the Capitol resulted in five deaths as of now we have one confirmed death. her name's Ashley Babbitt she was shot by an un Named Capitol Police Officer, the Capitol Police Officer that died tragically died of stroke. The other people that were in the area, they were in the Capitol. But this mantra of the insurrection, where five died, it's that's just doesn't meet up with the facts. The other thing, the floating this notion, well, your vaccine card, your ticket to freedom, but that's probably a longer conversation. Mm -hmm. At least. The whistleblower for Adam Schiff was revealed. I'm kidding about that.
0: <laughs> I was just looking around my notes. Wait, wait, what did I miss? What did I miss? What
1: did I miss? <laughs> but, 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 but also true, Hunter Biden did admit that the laptops are his. And we also now have Rudy Giuliani's apartment being raided. And we have Matt Gates, Republican representative from Florida, being investigated for sexual conduct with a underage woman. My quip gene can't say he should have bettered a Chinese spy like Eric Swalwell did because That apparently is okay. Um, (laughs) um, Here's other things we haven't heard. The Pakistani immigrant that was killed by two teenagers in Washington, D.C., that's now out of the news. But think about the pain that family has today. Other things we haven't heard, where are the prosecutions of Donald Trump? We were promised that the new Justice Department would be pursuing criminal charges. We were told that the Southern District of New York and Cyrus Vance were going to be filing charges on Donald Trump. You know, Maybe they just haven't had enough time to do that. And also, you know, one of the leaders of BLM has bought a number of houses, but I watched her interview and she said, well, that's for her family, so it doesn't really count. So that's out of the news at this
0: point. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Oh, and by the way, there are some people that don't believe Epstein killed himself. <laughs> so, <laughs> and there you go again. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, those are things out of the news, Brian. I uh, I hope that we will get back to having some great guests. This is Rich Helpy on the Common Bridge podcast, available on Apple, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Buzzsprout, and elsewhere. Richard Helpy TV channel at YouTube TV. And also, of course, at richardhelpy.com. Please register. Please continue to let me know topics that you want to have covered or any guests that you'd like to see. So with my producer here, Brian Brueger, this is Rich Helpy signing off on the Common Bridge.
0: You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast, recording and post production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.